Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, let me get right to my assignment. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Uh, this is a, a very familiar story. I have I have even uh, mentioned a few minutes here and there in some other messages, but I don't think I ever really shared this whole story, and I, I believe there's going to be some fresh light uh, today for us. Uh, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. He sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, normally in most of our Bibles, there's then like a, a, a new paragraph and another story, but actually the next verse is the capsulation of this, and I think we miss something because, because of the little break uh, in most of our Bibles. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they, everyone with him, thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I, I read over this for a lot of years, but literally because of this story, of Zacchaeus, all of the Pharisees, all of the Sadducees, let alone Jesus' disciples, all the Jews that were with him, thought that heaven would immediately appear by what they saw in this story. Now, I don't know about you, but I read over that for a lot of years, never really paid much attention to it because it, it's like it goes into another story and, you know, any, every time there's a new heading, you know, we forget that none of that was in the original language. There's no chapters, there's no verses. No, I'm grateful for the chapters, I'm grateful for the verses. It's good for memorization and to say turn to. Uh, otherwise, we'd just be telling you turn to page 1372 and look somewhere in the middle. I mean, I'm grateful for that. And so we're going to get to this a little bit at the end, but let me let me walk through this story a little bit because, uh, you know, I, I grew up in church, and normally the story of Zacchaeus, the only thing you remember about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up into the sycamore tree the Lord he longed to see. I mean, it was normally like a little song. And so for years, to be honest, I would read right past this passage. I'm like, yeah, that's the story about the little guy. And he climbed up into a tree. We know that. But there was all kinds of truth that I think we miss in there because we assume sometimes we already know the story. But So the first thing I want us to look at is, first of all, the name Zacchaeus. You know that the word Zacchaeus is translated in the Greek language as pure. Allow me to liken Zacchaeus to all of humanity who's longing. There's something pure in every single heart, longing to see Jesus. There's a, a longing for a connection back to, back to source. You know, I mean, Jesus said one day, he said, call no man 
father. Now, he, he wasn't saying that you can't call your dad your father, but the word father, pater in the Greek, is actually the word originator or source. So what he was saying is, don't call any human your source. Humans can be resources to you, because the truth is this, you don't come from your mom and dad. You came through your mom and dad. All right, you started in him, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and you're on your way back to him. Jesus put it like this. He said, I have come from the Father, and I'm going back to the Father. Ecclesiastes puts it like this. God has placed eternity in every single heart. There's something screaming inside of every human to reconnect back to where they came from. It doesn't matter if it's Christianity. It doesn't matter if it's other religions. The New Age movement calls it source. They don't call it God. They say we're trying to get back to source. They're still saying they're trying to get back to God. Because he is the source of everything, the source of all of humanity. And so here's, here's this picture. John 1 would call it the light of every man. He said that that word that became flesh, the light that dwelled among them, and that light is the light of every man. It is called in the Greek language and Latin, imagio deo, the image of God living on the inside of every single human. That means there's something pure in every human longing to reconnect to where they came from. Now, I know if you were raised like me in traditional Western religion, you would remember verses that say there's nothing good in any man. None are righteous. No, not one. Boy, I had that beat into me. The problem is, is there's all kinds of verses in the Bible that call people righteous. So I guess there was at least a couple righteous. Abraham was called righteous. Zechariah, the son of John, uh, the dad of John the Baptist, was considered righteous. So no, not righteous, no, not one. There's a context for that and a meaning in that specific verse. But there's always been something Pure, the truth is, men like Augustine and, and John Calvin jacked it all up and convinced us that, that there's nothing good in any human. Uh, even our new songs, listen, I love the song Reckless Love, but I just cannot sing the one verse. I can't, I can't, I, I love the verse that says we didn't earn it because we didn't earn this thing, but we don't deserve it. What father would tell his child, you don't deserve my love? Of course you deserved it. He thought you deserved it enough to die for you. Now, we might look at ourselves and view ourselves a certain way, but that's not how the Father views us. He doesn't view us as these nasty little worms that he can't even look at until we pray a magic prayer, and now all of a sudden he's fine with us. The truth is there's something pure in every single human. That's why when you pick up a little baby, you don't pick up a baby. Uh, listen, I've heard some sick preachers say that little baby's a filthy, rotten little sinner, and un- until they pray the prayer and they're baptized, I mean, I'm, I'm telling listen, when I pick up my granddaughters, I see nothing but purity. I see nothing but love. I, I I I don't see anything else because there's a lot of sick thinking, but the sad thing is a lot of the body of Christ has been influenced by by men like John Calvin, who I have a quote by John Calvin who says, the toddler, while being held over the fires of hell by God, will turn and hiss at God. (sighs) Huh? I think Johnny C. had a demon. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, I, listen, there's a lot of good stuff that he gave, but I'm telling you, that's a demonic thought to think that God is going to hold a baby, a two-year-old over the fires of hell, and the baby's going to hiss at him because there's nothing good in him. That's ridiculous. 
There's something pure in every human screaming for reconnection. Crying out. So Zacchaeus is desiring to see this Jesus, but there's two hindrances. The first hindrance is the scripture says he was short of stature. Now, I know that means he was literally short, and in this days of being politically correct, I guess we'd have to say vertically challenged. (laughs) Height challenge. I'm sure you can call anybody short anymore. I I mean, I don't know. But But I think it's something bigger than just his natural height. According to Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, 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 the truth is that all of us get to a certain place in life, and, and according to the book of James, we by our own desires are drawn away into sin. We, we, it, it, it's not a, as much a nature as it is a nurture. Choices that we make, but he's like, listen, all have sinned and fallen short, and so... There's this picture, yeah, and of course, most never read the rest of the verse either. <laughs> the, the beauty is this. Jesus took care of our shortcomings, what keeps many people from being able to connect back to Jesus and reconnect with the source of their life is their own shortcomings, their own views of themselves, their own misgivings, saying, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. And the truth is, Jesus on the cross, by holding out his arms, said, you are good enough. You're worthy enough for my goodness and my grace. I'm the one that paid the price completely for you. And so Jesus takes care of all the sin and the mess and our lack of identity and our misunderstanding and all of our own self-condemnation and our own fear. He's like, I take care of all the shortcomings. But the second thing that kept him from seeing Jesus was the big problem, the crowd running with him. I've said for years that most people aren't running from Jesus or running from God. They're running from crazy church folk. And I also tell people at the same time, uh, listen, don't, don't judge Jesus according to some of his followers. You know, because we all have imperfections. We're all growing in areas. We all mess up. We all have our own issues that we're working on. But, but a lot of times it's the crowd that was running with them. Jesus was constantly surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees. Even many of his own disciples didn't get what he was talking about. And sometimes it's the crowd that's running with Jesus that turns more people off than anything else. Let's... Let's be honest, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, it don't matter what, what news program, they, whenever they interview a Christian, they always choose the crazy ones. They pick out Westboro Baptists, and, you know, they're always picking out people that are screaming, God hates you, and God hates this, and God hates everything. I mean, they never seem to interview people that actually have some sense and actually understand the love of God and the grace of God and the new covenant. They're always choosing the ones that are full of judgment and fear and, and, and pointing the finger, missing the whole point of John 3.17. We'd love to talk about John 3.16, but John 3.17, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved, and if the Father did not send his own son to condemn the world, I highly doubt he's sending any of us. You see, a lot of times it's that that crowd that turns people off and then they never want anything to do with him because they've had a bad taste in their mouth. We had a 
we had a man that would was a part of our church in Saginaw several years ago when we were there and he had not been to church. He was now in his late 50s when he came. He had not been to church since he was five. Because when he was five years old, his dad took him to church. They were walking up the steps. This was a, this just happened to be a Catholic church, not that there's anything against any, any other tradition. But the priest was closing the door because they got there 30 seconds late. He closed the door and locked it. So that, that, that means most folks would miss out on most churches. Anyway, <laughs> and let's be honest, normally if it says 10, that means 10, 20. Anyway, I'm just, <laughs> shut the door, didn't let him in, and it so turned him off. Did, did you know that, that Gandhi read through the Bible as a young man more than once and read through the New Testament two or three times, became convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the world and went to a local church to make a public confession and they wouldn't let him in the door because of the color of his skin. That's why Gandhi's the one that he actually made the phrase, uh, the, the, the very famous, you're Jesus I like, you're Christians not too much. Because many times it's the crowd running around with Jesus that tends to turn many people off. So Zacchaeus doesn't allow that to stop him, thank God. Many of you are here today because you didn't allow that to stop you. And so what he does is he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And what's interesting is when you, when you study this, like in the Greek language, the word sycamore is actually translated an imperfect fig tree. Now what's important about that is a fig tree all through the Old Testament, even the New Testament, is a type of Israel, which Israel then many times is also a type of the church. And, 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 and you know, I, I know you said that we're not Jewish, but Paul actually said the true Jew, anyway, is the one born from above. We're actually more Jewish than Jews, but anyway. Uh. <laughs> but he, uh, he, he, he does something. He climbs up into this imperfect fig tree so he can see Jesus. Allow me to kind of type this fig tree as a picture of us because the righteous are called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. We're told in Psalms that the righteous are like a palm tree. And the reason a palm tree is palm trees are so rooted and grounded that even in hurricanes many times they still stay standing because they bend but they rarely break. So when the storms of life come, not only that, but I love the, I don't know if you remember the story of Jesus. He heals, he prays for a man who is blind, and then he says to the man, what do you see? And the man said, I see men walking as trees, and then Jesus prays for him again, and then his eyes are open, and then he sees. And I've heard, I remember hearing preachers say, preach, sir, preach, I, I heard at least three preachers growing up, evangelists, preaching sermons on a, a, a second touch. You know, you just need a second touch. That, that you know, like God didn't heal him the first time, like Jesus couldn't open his eyes the first time. See, I don't believe it had anything to do with natural healing. I believe Jesus gave him spiritual sight, then gave him natural sight, because spiritual sight is even more important, because what did he see. He saw men walking as trees. Trees shouldn't be walking. Trees are rooted and grounded and planted. What he saw was the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the religious people around Jesus that were walking around that weren't rooted and grounded in love. They were rooted and grounded in religion and still walking around with no life. And then he opens his eyes and gives them natural sight. 
Because let's be honest, most people will never see Jesus until they climb up on us, pick the fruit of our lives, because we many times are the only Jesus people will ever see. And this is what I love, is nobody's looking for a perfect tree. It's an imperfect one. Nobody is looking for us to be perfect. They just want to know, are we rooted and grounded in love? Our only thing we owe people is love. It's not my job to change people. It's not my job to be a sheriff of righteousness. It's not to point out all your issues. It's not to straighten you up. It's not to tell you you need to do this and you need to do that. My job is one thing, period. Love one another as I have loved you. It's the only commandment in the new covenant. So Jesus does something that is the polar opposite of Pharisees and religion. Because let me say this boldly, Jesus was not a Pharisee. Sad to say, a lot of Western Christianity has become more Pharisaical than Christ-like. Do you know that the word Pharisee actually is translated separatist? Do you know that any time you have a mentality of us and them, you have a mentality of those people, better stay away from those people, you just became a modern-day Pharisee. Good teaching, brother. Hallelujah. (laughs) Don't shout me down now. Whatever those people are, those rich people, those poor people, those those Democrats, those Republicans, those white people, those Hispanic people, those black people, those Asian, those Muslims, those, those LGBTQ, it doesn't matter. Whatever those people are to you, when you have a mentality of us and them, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. Because this is what Pharisees did. And this is a lot of the tradition maybe many of you at least saw. Pharisees said this, believe what we believe, then change, then we'll accept you. In other words, you, you, you got to believe how we believe, then change. I mean, I, I still remember the day when I, I grew up in the Pentecostal church. I remember you'd have two people come down to the altar and, 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 and get saved, and the one would come back the next week, his hair would be to the side, he'd have a suit and tie on, and then the other guy would come back, he'd still have his, his jeans with, with rips in it, and he'd still be smoking out in the parking lot, and folks would say, well, that one guy, he got really saved. Now, they both got saved, but that guy that cleaned up, he really got saved. Some of y'all may have said that about somebody before. He got real saved. But what I love about Jesus is he flips the script. He sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he just says, hey, Zach, I accept you. Period. No conditions. Notice Jesus didn't do what most American evangelists teach us how to evangelize. He never gave them the law. He didn't convince them of the Ten Commandments. He didn't say, you know, have you ever lied? Yes, so by your own admonition, you're a liar. I mean, I'm, I remember taking a whole Saturday seminar and taught how to do evangelism, and you use the Ten Commandments to convince people they're dirty, rotten, low life, stinking, you're lying, thieving, fornicating. You know, I, I mean, just I got to convince you of that. Even though Jesus and the apostles never used the law to bring conversion to anybody, Jesus' response was not like a Pharisee. He didn't say, he didn't, he didn't look up at the tree and say, hey, you filthy, rotten little heathen. 
heathen. I know everything you're doing. You need to repent right now. You, you need to get down from that tree. You need to come to an altar because you're going to hell in a handbasket. Because Jesus wasn't a street preacher. Jesus' response is, hey, Zach, I accept you, period. No conditions. I love this uh, This past May at my yearly conference down in the Louva area. We had William Paul Young, the author of The Shack, uh, one of the top ten most incredible humans I've ever been around. Uh, it was an honor to spend nearly four days with him. I've never seen more people get ministered to by the ministry of hugs. I mean, he's like five, six, a little short guy. He'd just walk up to people, big arms open, and squeeze them. They'd fall apart in his arms just sobbing. It was, like, it, was like, it was like Abba Father was hugging folks. It was beautiful. One of the services, he walks right past the guy, the guy giving the greeting who got all startled, didn't even know what was going on, walked up on the platform to one of the young ladies in the worship team and just hugged her, and she fell apart. Of course, he had no idea of what stuff she was going through at home. It was beautiful, but he made one statement. I told him, I talked to him a few weeks ago. I said, I said, uh, the one statement you've made, I said, I, I will give you the credit the first 10 times. After that, it's mine. And he made this statement. He said, the word agape, which is the God kind of love, is it's a one-way love that expects nothing in return. So God's love towards you is not conditional on your love back. In other words, his love is, I love you whether you respond or not. My love is not conditional on your response. We love him because he first loved us. John says, herein is love. Herein is love. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. And so he made this statement. I thought it was so powerful. He said, if true love is without expectations, then God has never been disappointed with you. Because you can only be disappointed with someone you have expectations of. Man, that's beautiful. You might have been disappointed with you. Others may have been disappointed. You've probably been disappointed with others, but God's never been disappointed with you. With all your issues, with all of your mess. He looks up at Zacchaeus and he doesn't preach the Romans road to him. He doesn't tell him to repent. He doesn't tell him to change. All he says is, I must come stay at your house. In other words, I'm giving you pure grace, pure acceptance, because this guy's a tax collector. This is the worst of the worst. This guy's this guy, man, he's got no friends. He's an IRS agent working for another country. Nobody likes him. He's got no Jewish friends because he's ripping them off. He doesn't have any Roman friends because they don't trust anybody who's taking money from their own people. I mean, this guy is like He's a publican. He's the worst of the worst. I mean, nobody wants anything to do with him. And Jesus says, I must come to your house. And in Eastern culture, when you go stay, he didn't say, I just want to come have a meal. He said, I must stay at your house. That means he was going to spend the night, maybe spend a few days. And when you did that in Eastern culture, it meant that you not only accepted that person, but you accepted them with everything they were and all that they do. Notice he didn't say, I can't hang at your house because I don't agree with your lifestyle. I can't come to your house because you're different than me. All he said was, I accept you, period. I wonder what would happen if the whole body of Christ would just get back to simply doing that. 
rather than pointing the finger at everybody and saying, you got to straighten up and you need to do like this and you need to act like this. And rather than being the Pharisees, trying to be the righteousness police and do that, I mean, what would happen if we, listen, one thing, listen, I, it's easy for me to share this here because you guys have a culture here. You're here, man, and most of you are here because you feel that this is a place that accepts you regardless of your issues. You, you don't have to agree about everything. You don't have to agree politically about everything. You don't have to agree about everything in the Bible. That's the beauty when you have a culture that it's okay to ask questions and not everybody has to be in agreement 100% about everything, but that you can walk together on a journey and love one another. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and he runs up to Jesus and he, he says, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to return it fourfold if I've I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And Jesus is like, wow, salvation has come to this house. How did that happen? He didn't preach salvation to him. Never told him to repent of his sins. I mean, I've been told that my whole life. You're not really saved until you repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, and, and turn to Jesus. He, he, he didn't pray any prayer. There was no magic prayer. There was no, there was no altar call. All Jesus said was, I accept you, period. I accept you with all your issues and all of your mess. And when he felt that unconditional acceptance and love, because I guarantee you he felt, he felt a disappointment from everybody. He didn't feel disappointed. This Jesus just accepts him radically. And then his response is to do some social justice stuff. To start caring for the poor and caring for those he's defrauded. And then all the Pharisees and the religious people get mad. What? He's gone to a house of a sinner. He's hanging out with those people. I have, a, I have a spiritual son. He preaches a great message on Jesus lived around questionable people. The people that no one else wanted anything to do with. He was a, he was a friend of sinners. Notice he wasn't a friend of ex-sinners. That means not everybody that got around Jesus changed but it didn't change how he saw them. Not everybody that got around Jesus, I mean, we, I think we think this thing that, you know, I mean, Jesus, he, he, only, he only reason he accepted people was to change them. I don't see that at all in Scripture. I'm telling you, he accepted people just because that's what love does. And Jesus said something very powerful. He said, for the Son of Man has come to save that, not who, that which was lost. Uh, listen, I, I want you to know that the idea of him just coming to seek and to save who was lost is the main focus a lot of times in the church world. But he didn't say that. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, everything that you have lost, he's not just concerned about your soul. 
He's also concerned about what you have lost. That's why there's all kinds of scriptures that say things like he will restore to you the years the canker worm and the palmer worm have stolen. He wants to restore healing and health and relationships and life. And in this instance, God was actually using Zacchaeus to restore back finances to individuals that he'd stolen from and things that had been taken. And he's like, listen, I'm not only just concerned about saving you so that you can have this eternal life life, which is a relationship with the Father and the Son, and you can enjoy this abundant living, but I'm also concerned about everything that you have lost. Life, health, peace, joy, years, relationships. I mean, Jesus said stuff like, you know what, when you begin to follow me, anything that you have lost, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, I will restore to you a hundredfold in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. That's not, that's not him just talking about a percentage of money. He's like, listen, I want to restore relationships to you. I mean, maybe, maybe something was lost and family won't talk to you anymore. Guess what? I'm going to give you a whole new family that will actually be one you choose, not one that was chosen for you. That has a heart to love you and Bless you, but then let me get to the crux of where I wanted to go this morning, and then I'll try to land this plane. After that whole story, Jesus, he's heading on to another city, and he starts to tell another parable. But everybody with him were amazed because they thought that the kingdom of God would immediately appear. So I want you to think about this. When they saw what Zacchaeus did, they're like, they're waiting at that moment. Of course, they didn't understand what Jesus said. He said, my kingdom is not of this world or from this world. It is for this world, and the kingdom of God is within them. But but they thought, as Jews, their mentality was that when the Messiah would come, the kingdom of heaven would begin to manifest. He would set himself up then as the ruler of the earth. They would then rule and reign with him and rule over everybody that was there. That was their hope, and that was their dream. That's what they believed the prophets were pointing to, even though it was a total misinterpretation, and they missed the whole point. But in the midst of all of that, they thought, Heaven's about to manifest by what they saw. So what, what, what happened there? The first thing I must understand is that to the Jews, there were like five major signs that someone was the Messiah. They had seen all of them except the last one. It was blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, the lame walk the blind seed, the dead raised. They'd seen all of those miracles. They'd seen the dead raised. They'd seen deaf ears unstopped. They'd seen the blind see. They saw the lame walk. They saw all of that. But the last one was the wealth of the wicked. Because their first Messiah, Moses, when he delivered them out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt with 480 years of back pay. They walk out of Egypt with all kinds of gold and all kinds of silver. Now, the frustrating part about that is there was no subdivisions. They couldn't buy a house. I mean, ladies, you know, sorry, but you get out in the wilderness, you got all kinds of money now to buy all the clothes and shoes you want, and God won't even let your shoes wear out. It's like, are you kidding me? 
Imagine, man, you got more money than you know what to do with because the purpose for the money wasn't just for you to have stuff for yourself, even though God has no problem with that. The purpose for it was ultimately to build him a house. And his house is people. It's about being a blessing to this world and earth around us. And one thing we forget a lot of times, the greatest manifestations of Pentecost. Now, you know, we charismatic folks, you know, we love the wind, the shaking, the fire, the tongues, and all that stuff. But one of the great demonstrations of Pentecost is radical generosity. They sold land and property. They took the proceeds, laid it at the apostles' feet because your finances are directly connected to your heart. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I can tell you exactly what you love. Just show me what you spend your money on. You see what I spend my money on? My two little granddaughters get everything they want. They are spoiled rotten because I love those girls. Right now, I mean, I've, I've always been a giver to the kingdom, do, do whatever God asked me to do, but, uh, you know, my wife, because we're empty nesting and my wife finally let me here this year. I was always a car guy. My, my, my first car was a 67 Nova. I had a 69 Camaro as a winter beater. I, I, I worked at an auto parts store. I mean, I l- loved, loved cars. And for years, I drove a big van around with my family, and that about killed me. Just a- a- always been a car guy. I just always was. So I, I've been saving up for probably at least 15 years. Just a, a separate little savings account because I wanted an older hot rod. And I'd saved up an amount of money. And, of course, 15 years ago, I could have got one for the price that I had saved up. But now I'm like, are you kidding me? You look, I mean, you look up one that needs work. They started like 35, 40 grand. I was like, well, that ain't happening. I ain't saved up that much. So I said, well, I wanted an old Camaro, but you know what? These newer ones are based on the 68, the 69 Camaro, and they got all the new modern stuff. And got a ridiculous, ridiculous deal on one. I was able to pay cash and over the last couple months, I've been adding parts to it and pieces to it and putting more horsepower in it. and It's been getting my money because I love that car right now. It's my toy. I'm having fun with that car right now. Because what we love, we put our heart towards. And if we're honest, most of what we love isn't stuff. What we love the most many times is our family. Well, you see, radical generosity is also not just giving to a church. One thing I love, I love even how you guys receive offerings around here. It's like, listen, purpose in your heart. To, listen, if you're a part of this house, give something because your heart's connected here, but be generous everywhere at Walmart, at Myers, Starbucks. Your neighbor, I mean, generosity is so much bigger than just what we give to, to the church. And, and, and please give something because you're a part of it. Matter of fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 and 9. He said this, he said, listen, as you've, as you've increased in, in grace and faith and all these other gifts, make sure that you abound in the grace of giving. And then he says something incredible. He said, for your giving tests the sincerity of your love. I don't know how sincere someone really is. 
your money where your mouth is. It's just part of it. And see, it's easy for us in America. We're, we're like, well, yeah, but the wealth of the wicked, well, you know, I'm not wealthy. That's talking about a millionaire giving money. But do you realize that if you own a car, you are in the upper 15 percentile of the world of wealth? As an American, listen, I've traveled the world. And let me tell you something. Until you've been to some third world countries and see how people live, you have no idea how blessed you are. What we call poor in America is wealth in many third world countries. You got shelter. You got, listen, when I go to Ecuador, nobody has windows or doors on their homes. There's no windows. There's no doors. Like packs of dogs just running in and out of everybody's houses. I mean, we're we're, we're sitting there. We're sitting there. With, we're sitting there one time with this little widow talking with her. All of a sudden, a pack of dogs come running right through the living room, and they go in the bath and they whip back around and head out. And I was like, "Are those your dogs?" She said, "No, they just run around the neighborhood." I was like, "What?" I mean, I can't imagine a pack of dogs just running through my house. I mean, it scared me half to death. I was like, "What is going on?" But you see, when a wealthy man started to take his finances and care for the marginalized and begin to care for the poor, care for the least of these. If you want to see what the kingdom of God manifests looks like, it's when we tangibly make a difference in the world around us. It's not just spooky spiritual stuff. It's when we actually do something with this good news that we have, that we're helping the neighborhood. We're helping people. We're, we're helping and encouraging and being a blessing. And, and immediately they thought heaven was about to appear at that moment. This thing is more than tithes and offerings. It's, it's so much bigger than whatever verbiage or language. It's living a life made up our mind that I'm going to accept people. Now listen, just because you accept someone doesn't mean you agree with everything they do. Jesus didn't agree with half, most of his disciples. I mean, he took a Peter one day, he's like, get thee behind me, Satan. It didn't change his love. His acceptance for them had nothing to do with their actions or their lifestyle. I have people all the time like, well, you know, are, are you going to, you know, you're a leader. Are you going to condemn this lifestyle or that lifestyle? I said, I don't condemn, I don't, I don't, I'm not pro any lifestyle. I'm pro people. Sometimes I don't agree with my own lifestyle. I have bad days just like everybody else. But you see, when, when the body of Christ begins to be like Jesus again and we just say my acceptance of you has nothing to do with your behavior how you look your lifestyle and what you do my acceptance of you is because I love you period because the beautiful thing is is once people know they're loved and accepted then Zacchaeus believed and then he changed It wasn't starting with straighten up, believe and change. It was just, I accept you. And he was so blown away by that, that his response was, now I want to be a blessing everywhere I go. I want to encourage people everywhere I go. And they thought the kingdom of God 
and immediately appear. Do you know that scripture? I've, I've, man, I've heard people say, it's, it's one of the myths in my book. I've heard people say, Jesus taught more about hell than he did anything else. I said, actually, actually never even talked about hell because the word hell is not in the original text. But I mean, he did talk about the grave two times. And he talked about the valley of Hinnom 12 times. Gehenna, which is a literal valley. Mistranslated as hell. But he talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. But the Bible talks more than anything else about what you do with your substance, about giving, about generosity. God talks a lot about it. Why? Because that's where our treasure is. And, and, and let's be honest, I've heard people say this my whole life. I don't know why that preacher talks about money. God don't need my money. And I always say, you're right, he needs his. You don't have any money. If you believed in Jesus, Paul said, it's no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you, the life you now live in the flesh. You live by the faith of the Son of God. You, you own nothing, possess nothing, control nothing. It's all his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All that's within it and everything and everyone that's within it, it's all his. All we are is stewards. All we do is simply listen to his voice, obey what he says, and then we begin to see generosity releases the kingdom of God in immense ways. I want to I encourage you today a life that says I'm not going to take out the finger of judgment and condemn you instead I'm going to choose to accept accepting doesn't mean I agree with everything you do it doesn't mean I agree with everything that you believe that's not even the point the point is is that I choose to love you period and that I allow the Holy Spirit to cause through me a demonstration of the kingdom by caring for those that can't care for themselves. That's where the rubber meets the road in all of this stuff that we talk about. If we don't care about any of that, if we don't care for widows and orphans, if we don't care for the marginalized, if we don't practice true justice, which Zachariah says is mercy and compassion, he delights in showing mercy. That's that's the Heavenly Father's heart. That's his his passion for us. And I, I want to just encourage Faith City. Listen, I, I can share this here boldly because this is you. This is a house and a culture. Listen, do, 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 do you know, do you actually realize how rare it is to have church cultures that you can question? You can question the leader. The leader has a heart to actually serve rather than be served that it's a place that whosoever will can come because everyone's accepted regardless. Listen, that should be the norm, but it's the exception. Much of the American church, and then we wonder why people are running from church, not running towards it. Listen, I'm just here to tell you, Faith City in this county is a hidden jewel. That blinders are going to start coming off people's eyes. And just as you guys declared, they're going to start coming from the north, the southeast, and the west. Not because you're trying to build a bigger building 
and a big ministry, but because people feel like everybody longs for community. They just want to be in a community where they feel accepted and loved. That's what the gospel looks like. Bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your absolute, amazing, crazy, ridiculous, reckless love for us. Thank you that your love is a one-way love that has no expectations, so you've never been disappointed with us. We get disappointed with ourselves. We get disappointed with others, but you don't get disappointed with us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that just as you have so blessed this community for living what I just preached as part of their culture, that that would increase exponentially. Continue to change us and transform us into your image, becoming more and more like you being more and more generous, being more and more Christ-like, accepting rather than judging. We'll thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name. I want you to do one thing with me. Would you just put your hand on your heart for a moment? Uh, I want you to respond back by making a, a confession out of your own mouth and your own heart. And pray this with me out loud if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for accepting me unconditionally. Thank you for your love. I receive that today fresh by faith. Now help me to be the same to others around me. Help me to see that purity, that desire in every heart that's longing for connection. Help me to be that tree of righteousness that others can climb up on to see Jesus. And then help me to live a life of radical generosity in every area of my life. Giving love, peace, joy, life, grace, my finances, everything a part of me. I yield it fresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.